Hello, wherever you are in the world today, welcome to Beyond the Art in our series, The Stories That Carry Us. I'm your host, Craig Beaumont Flynn, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the Delaware Tribe of Indians. In each episode, we will discuss with various Native American artists, influencers, art leaders, and everyone in between their experiences, the communities they serve, and the translation and interpretation of the Native American art world today. Today we have Wadakishik Bruce, a member of the Turtle Clan, I'm sorry, Turtle Mountain Chippewa, and a diverse media artist. Welcome to the show. Bonjour. Well, tell us a little bit about you and what you do and your craft. Um, first, just for um, customaries, I'll just do a quick Ojibwe introduction. So, Bonjour, Anine, um, Wanagishik and Nishnikaz, Wabi Echijek and Dudame, Mikinako Wajawing, Ishkunigan, Oma Sipising and Dunjiba. I said that all backwards. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, um, that was a little bit about myself in English for those that don't speak uh, Ojibwe. Is, um, I'm from the White Crane Clan and I'm from the place that's where the little river that sings on the Turtle Mountain Indian Res. Um, a little bit about me. Um, I've been making art since I was two. My dad actually um, went to I.I. before I was born. I got to um, see him make art when I was really tiny. Um, and what basically... He really inspired me as an artist, seeing him do um, airbrushing, metalworking, um, painting, and different things. And I come from an artistic family of seamstress, um, metal ma makers, um, carvers, stonework. Um, so that between my family and my uh, personal mentors over the years, I have um, accumulated learning about 40 different art forms. And I teach about 10. Wow. You keep you, keep you busy. Mm -hmm. what, what does your name actually mean? So Wanagizik or Wanagizik. Um, means foggy cedar or cedar in the fog. It actually was, a lot of people wonder if it's my Indian name. It isn't. Um, it it was a pseudonym I made, and then it got published, and that became my artist name. <laughs> and now it's just like my preferred name. But a lot of my family says Wani. Okay. They dragged that last I out, and then other Ojibwe speakers are like, you don't say it that way. I'm like, <laughs> names change. <laughs> So two years old when you started, wow! Um, and what it just you you were inspired by your father. Your father just kind of set you aside when he was working and creating his art, and you just went to town and started creating. I think it's a little bit of both. Of both. Mm -hmm. um, I saw him painting, and I do have this memory where my first time painting, um, he was doing watercolor, and I sat right next to him. And I think what my mom said is, I brought paper or grab paper um and then i just start drawing and then i still have that that um painting in my my baby book and i didn't realize it still existed um 
I rem I have the memory of it, and I remember this big grand. It's like, how do I remember my baby memories? And it's like I remember <laughs> like this pyramid, and then these flowers, and this oasis, and then here I see it. I'm like, well, I see triangles <laughs> and shapes. And it's like just kind of cool. Like I remember what I was thinking when I was painting that. Wow, that's a good. But my dad good said he has a similar a gift. Like he can look at people's paintings and experience what they feel by the brush strokes and the energy or the movement of the of the media so mm -hmm. after he said that it's like oh that makes sense maybe this is you know something we both share but i don't think you know i've talked to other artists that kind of feel the same way as so you maker. just continued on you just continued on that pathway in the direction you never deferred yourself so you just continue continue to grow as an artist so what what entails being a diverse media artist i made that in the sense of I really enjoy the idea of um, working on different media and then having a diverse range of um, being able to create. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of a, and I've seen similar things from other artists where they'll just say they work on diverse media arts. And then I, I it was just a wordplay. Mm -hmm. Is there one particular medium that you prefer over the other, or you just go in and, have an idea and start creating one or are you, I guess, disciplined or when you have that vision of a particular piece that you want to start creating, do you know what that piece is going to take? Are you kind of say, well, I'm going to paint or I'm going to draw or I'm going to sketch or. Okay. Um, for, for the, the, for example, what I like to do is I like to juggle between different media over the years, like back in back a few years ago, I was always telling everyone I miss painting or I, you know, and I because I was all, all I was doing was doing quill work and um, beadwork and jewelry making. And then now I've been doing a lot of painting, a lot of leisure art, some um, community based arts with mural working. Um, it's just, like I said, it's constantly juggling. Like, again, I'm saying, I'm telling everyone I miss doing quill work, but then here mm -hmm. with quill work, people, I finished some pieces. And then when I was at the herd market this, uh, this spring, I met different people, like people at Idlejore, for example. And now they're asking me to, um, come and do a demonstration over at the Idlejore Guinea market. So they saw my quill work. I've been doing quill work since I was, um, seven. That's when I first wow. learned. Let me grab this little basket. So here's my very first little piece. Bring it oh. <laughs> closer. But this is my little baby basket piece. And then I made this one later in, in uh, college. So same teacher. So wow. in, in uh, grade school, then college. So I've been working on those since, you know, for years and years. So quill work is a last art or soon to be last art who inspired you and who actually taught you how to do quill work so um when a, i guess that that teacher he's a breen terence breen he's a local artist here um i think one of my one of my other mentors said that he inspired him to go to northern plains so mm -hmm. as his professional artwork i don't know what his journey is like but as a teacher he's really taught many many students just one of you know probably hundreds and hundreds so he taught over you know definitely over a decade probably wow. like a couple decades 
but what he did is so all my different art teachers were mixed media artists as well or you know multimedia i should say in the sense of multi as and they did diverse work as well that's what i'm saying mm-hmm. um terry or terrence he he taught me how to do beadwork basketry carving um and a whole bunch of other things he's really known for doing his as his own personal craft he works with um photography and quill work but i learned a lot from him and then different mentors growing up including my dad so every mentor i've had has taught me like four di- i mean like anywhere to five to ten different art forms and it was just you know cementing what i knew and teaching me new strategies new pathways new ways to look at it so when when i think about art like what you're saying with what's my process like um it's very hybridized it's very um out of the box unconventional in the sense of when i approach a piece like my dad and i will talk about um making a certain piece and we'll say mm-hmm. well this is what a stone sculptor how their approach would be this is how a how a metal worker would go and let's say i was working on basketry or some of my other pieces it'd be we'd approach it with these lines of thinking or how we'd make it or if something doesn't work we'll do an unconventional way by you know a different pathway got it wow yeah. or so what inspired go ahead i'm sorry i was just gonna say even when i paint he'll say why don't you do airbrush or think about it like in this painting application in a way i don't think of it'll just you know unconventional so what inspires you what inspires me um I think what inspires me is my personal drive for creativity. What inspires me is all the people that taught me art, all the people I've taught art and I will teach art to. Um, in the sense of quill work, since I was taught by Terence um, in certain traditional arts that I make, um, in our cultural way, um, ceremony arts or, or culture arts in that form, we have a way where it's an intergenerational um transfers of knowledge so um what would happen is what i was taught is when you teach when you're taught a traditional art you give your first piece away and then um and then you make your second piece and your third piece um but with with that is there's you always have like a lineage of what taught you art because it's like to keep that spirit of that traditional art making alive um so like with quill work, it's, I've been taught by, you know, nonstop teachers probably, you know, for, you know, centuries unbroken. Mm-hmm. I can only speak for the last couple of generations and the sense of family lines, but, you know, specifically it's just, you know, people in the families. So I think that's what keeps me going. It also really um, is a very large theme in my practice is the idea of like a, this word anaku bijigan which is um is a word in ojibwe that means um an ancestor or descendant and the word that itself breaks down into like a continuous unbroken line so i really think about that in the sense of how am i being ethical responsible um in my own you know life as a good relative in the sense of art practice so do you take very traditional cultural elements and then incorporating them into your pieces are you trying to tell a story that's culturally indicative or are you trying to kind of retranslate into a modern 
perspective? I think it all depends. Um, with uh, with some of my art, like I, I, I definitely have like a a spectrum of, that I go on with my artistry. Um, I really like to um, work with traditional medium and then mm. the ceremonial arts. Like a lot of my ceremonial art, arts I don't show on my Instagram and stuff. Some, there's a couple of things that I have shown that I was given permission, like go ahead and show it because it hasn't been blessed yet. Um, at that point, it was still art piece. But on the other hand, mm. so I do, I like to revitalize ancient arts. So with quill work, I've taught about 80 different students so far. Um, and then the other spectrum, I really like to push and kind of pioneer what is indigenous futurisms. So a lot of my new pieces are really expressing and expanding what is the future or, you know, being a contemporary artist, what is, what can art be now and moving towards the future? So I've been really pushing relatives and asking them and, you know, questioning them, like, why aren't we using more materials? Because the way I was taught from Terrence and then another art teacher um, that I'm, I'm still hanging out with a lot and visit and still learning from, his name is um, Don Kane. So Don Kane is a, um, he's a re he's retired now and he's picking up his artistry again, you know, full time. But he, he and Terry and a few other, including my dad, they've really taught uh, me in the idea of if our ancestors had it, they would use it. Because there's this... It's I, I run into other artists where um, sometimes they believe in, oh, we got to do it by the book, by, you know, by traditions. Right. It has to be like it was taken out of a time machine. And I I don't agree with with that. Um, with that theme, I really believe in I cement my practice practice in this idea of, you know, contemporary art making, you know, really using um the easier ways of doing things because you know if our ancestors had power tools they would have let go of their stone tools well let go <laughs> of their stone tools when they had metal tools right right so what is your perspective of being a native american and an artist how do you um, intertwine those two components um with being a native artist i think I think what's helpful is aside from making art, some a storyteller. I've learned traditional stories and legends, um, sacred legends, as we'd say in Ojibwe. Um, I I think a lot of my art, like it's it's like w within my own um, pathway, I tend to really spread out um, in between different subjects. Like for example, aside from being an artist, I'm very much in love with science. I just have chosen to do more of the humanities and arts in um, my career path, even though I really miss being a part of, you know, um, med school and being in chemistry. But even with that being said, I still utilize, like, even with my own art uh, practice, I'll think of, okay, how can I do this easier? What chemical step can I do to clean these seeds, for example, or these, you know, bones? How do I, you know, like, mm -hmm. what what um scientific uh, processes or how can i neutralize this or you know cause a reaction that will be in my All benefit right. so you treat your art the same way or your craft the same way it, it's just i think a lot of it is thinking outside the box being creative 
Mm-hmm. So um, you mentioned that you were mentored by uh, a large group of individuals, both family members and others. Are you mentoring currently to a youth in the next generation? I've taught, I think out of um, art, out of students, I've taught probably, if I was a guess, I, I, I don't keep a tally, but I would guess it'd be around 150. Um, wow. The majority of that, half of that is like quill work. So I've taught a lot of like basketry quill work and then, you know, general like wrapping and other processes. But um, I, I would like to teach, you know, master forms for, um, you know, basketry and some of the other arts. Recently, I've been teaching a lot of people how to do ledger art. That's been mm-hmm. a major um, realm that I've been exploring. You asked earlier, what are some of the arts? Um, I tend to juggle, like I said, but I'd say what I, my primary focus right now is painting, uh, ledger art making, and other drawing, uh, quill work, bead work, and then the LED arts. That's my five uh, number of five art forms that I focus <laughs> on right now. And like even with painting, I'm doing mural painting and you know miniature paintings. So, but ever since I've did mural, um, I don't want to work with small pieces anymore. So I reserve it for <laughs> ledger art. One of my um, facilitators for the fellowship I'm in, which is um, the Rural Regenerator Fellowship, is um, Keith Braveheart. And he recently mm-hmm. gifted me with some very large ledger paper. I haven't measured it, but to give an example, it's like 18 by 24 inches. So I told wow. him, I said, I'm really excited to work with large format um, ledger art. Because all my that ledger art pieces are smaller, you know. So what it, what got you interested in doing ledger art? Or was it just the next step or a box you wanted to check off? Um, so I, w- with art making, I, I try to, like, I try to stay away from making um, what I feel is cultural appropriation. So for years, I stayed away from it. But then when I start looking, because I, I do a lot of my own personal research and I travel or I have different historian friends or anthropologist friends that are natives and then they've been in all these museums and they have access of art archives. So I, I stayed away from ledger art as a practice until I realized that, wait, no, Turtle Mountain did all the precursors of this. Our cousins, you know, in Montana have been doing this and our people would, you know, travel back and forth. And then some of our people stayed in Montana. So I start right. seeing like the history of, you know, in the 1900s of this art form and, when I saw a traditional territory map that was on paper and it, you know, I saw this piece by Turtle Mountain, like the Turtle Mountain territory from, you know, the Great Lakes to the Rocky Mountains, like our traditional where we'd walk. Then I just decided, hey, I want to, I kind of want to do this. And one of my friends, Holly Young, she was having a workshop in Sisseton. And I just traveled down there with my dad and we both took the workshop. So what defines a Wadakishik piece of art? Mm, I've never been asked that question. Um, <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I, I think what it is, is it, it really, um, my most favorite pieces are what kind of blends my, my themes that I go through. So um, like I said earlier, I, I kind of think of this idea of Anoku Bijigan. I think of, a lot of identity and ethics and um, 
uh, you know, like really pushing boundaries. So mm -hmm. um, my favorite pieces are stuff that really fuse future, present, and the past. Um, two of my most recent favorite pieces, well, I'll just grab one, is so Parfletch, like I was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. So this one is, it, it's something that can look like it came out of a time machine in a way. But I also Beautiful made piece. it more modern. So, um, mm -hmm. I like I said, I'm I do I'm a storyteller. So this one is the spring summer constellations for the Ojibwe people. And then you have the, the Milky Way or the, the Wolves Path. But like this is one of my favorite Parfletch pieces because it's something that you know is in a sense modern but also traditional. Because they Correct. would never use like a, a they. You don't see traditional star maps on, you know, on Parfletch works. Not saying it couldn't exist. It just is it's that sense of, I really like the idea of having contemporary and themes within my art. Mm -hmm. What are some of your uh, poignant pieces that you were surprised that the reaction it received or the reaction it did not save? Um, Crap, I didn't even grab that. That one's still in the... <laughs> um, I think I, I sent you an image of the, the one with a water panther and there's a watercolor behind it. It's a still. Mm -hmm. um, that one I that that one is, is um, one of my pieces during COVID pandemic, the height, the start of it. And then within that piece, it... Um, what I really pushed my, my boundaries and I ended up meeting with a, a relative in Winnipeg um, uh, a coder that I learned from, um, another friend. So Elizabeth Lapunze, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name, right? <laughs> I, um, anyway, she's a indigenous gamer. I mean, indigenous game maker in Canada and the U S anyway. Um, she had introduced me to this other friend in Winnipeg and we've been collaborating and she's been teaching me. Her name is Adrian cheater. And um, we've really talked about, like, in the sense of, you know, collaboration and even um, the sense of um, giving credit. Because it, it gave me a new perspective when we had the conversation when my friend's like, well, I'm not indigenous and I don't want to take credit. And I was like, but you helped me work on this. And I'm still learning, like, in the sense of large scale artists, like one of the people I look up to, um, Diane um, Whitehawk, like. The idea of some of these large-scale artists like how do you give credit or do you give credit you know what i mean like mm -hmm. when you have like helpers and associates since at the end of the day you're the main artist or the main director in this sense um i think what it for what i find challenging is like when i went to iia since i was a legacy student or here's that anaku bijigan piece so this one's a sound reactive um mm -hmm. i have to unplug it but there's traditional mediums here. This is pretty bright on the camera. I, I'll put it down in a second. Um, so this is a Thunderbird with different um, pieces. It shows... Fantastic. Yeah, and, I see uh, the little image. Yeah, it has a bunch of images. And then there's traditional mediums that you can't really see with how bright it is because it's so close right. to me. The closer the microphone hears the audio, the more intense the light is. So that's why it was so All intense. Right. It was right next to my mouth. So that's actually a sound reactive piece. Um, and it has that idea of Anoku Bijigan. So the little nodes of the LEDs in the with it wrapped within the red wiring. And 
um, a necklace piece. It, it represents like all the ancestors or the sense of stars. And then the Thunderbird Amazing. is like a, um, like a agent of change and innovation and different things. And it has different associations and there's storytelling within there. Like there's my, my grandpa and his siblings when they went off to boarding school and there's like different, uh, indigenous leaders, both, you know, Mitch or Métis, Cree and Ojibwe. So like there's, um, Gabriel DeMont, I believe in there. There's my so many great uncle, um, Patrick Gorno, who was instrumental on in saving the res from, um, termination back when mm -hmm. I should know what you know since my degree was about history but anyway turtle mountain was almost terminated at the same time as menominee and another one but anyway I mean, we had leaders that prevented it that's such a significant and unique piece what how did you or what was the process in actually coming up with that piece and the intricacy and the story you wanted to tell with it was it in a dream or was it just something that you kind of envisioned I guess something that I envisioned, um, my next piece, like I'll think of things like what's something that I want to see. Cause I really look in, you know, world art and seeing like installation or place based art or in the sense of, uh, multimedia. Cause I really mm -hmm. appreciate multimedia. Like I watch like some of the Japanese artists or some of the European artists. And I'm always thinking, why can't a native artist be doing this? Or why isn't native more native artists doing this? So it's just that creation and that idea. Like with this one, I was like, I wanted a, um, the one I just showed you, the Anubu, uh, on, on a Nag piece. I wanted to incorporate the, like the themes with that, or, um, this idea of, um, a medicine necklace, like a loop necklace mm -hmm. that you see like crows, for example, wear that they're known for. Um, the other thing is I wanted to have something that complement the, the LED, um, fairy lights i think they would consider them um so i put it in trade beads there's coral in there there's gold beads um there's traditional beads like um tr that we would have traded with other tribes specifically there's dentillium work in there there's this thing that we call wolf berry or locally we call it silver berry or the wolf willow uh bead so that you find in ancient art where mm -hmm. they used to adorn them on leather clothes you know hundreds well thousands of years ago so i have and then the trade beads old green trade beads and then i event turquoise and bells on it so it was this idea of i want it to be reactive like the prompt was um traditional meets you know futuristic art what would be something that you can wear to a gala or a party you know for mm -hmm. example something that reacts with its environment because when I went to II, I would always like ask my instructors and fellows. One of them was actually on here, um, George. We have actually had a lot of conversations. Um, and um, I think I said his name wrong again. Alexander. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I probably said his name wrong. And that's why I was thinking like, why am I not saying his name right? <laughs> I saw him at the herd and I, I introduced him with the wrong name and I, I saw him the next day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, when I went to II, I would ask different people in this idea, um, why can't native art interact with you? Like my vision, like uh, thinking of my senior show eventually, um, 
I I didn't um I ended up switching degrees though, but when I was thinking about my senior show, I was asking him, I would like art that has sensors and motors and it can interact with you because mm-hmm. what like I'd ask him, I'm tired of the traditional um structure where you interact with art. Why can't art interact with you? We're in, you know, this time and age is robotics that do all kinds of things. Why can't we do this? Right. And then talking with um with that other classmate, the one that was on earlier, um, we really talked about this idea of native art and it really inspired me. Like I really liked where he was going with his um space pieces with the helmet, the Air Force mask set I mean helmet that he ended up getting. Um mm-hmm. It was this idea of that I talked with him and Del Kerfman and a few other people that it was like we were all kind of really tired of how the market they they like the the buying market ex, expects that native artists make this traditional art that's from a specific time period you know like 1850 to 1920 and just like right. the fact that we are native artists why can't you know why can't even minimalistic art or even like a Dadaism style art, like why can't we make something that just seems so out of the, you know, against the trend and that can't be considered native art. You know what I mean? It's just really expressing and pushing that boundary. Cause like being ledger art, I, I would tell people I'm a contemporary ledger art maker. Um, cause I don't want to draw pretty Indians that look like they, they pose for a picture. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. I appreciate that a form of art. Um, I just like to tell like more um, diverse stories in the sense of this idea of like futurisms, like, you know, kids playing video games. Like one of my favorite pieces that my friend and I ended up giving away for a trade, I'll have to send it to you, was this idea of um, Tamagotchi. You remember those things in the 90s, mm-hmm. those little eggs that they would play yeah. in in the 2000s and i see there's a resurgent that i see i saw a little cousin playing it so i did a ledger art piece of a little kid's hands close up with a tamagotchi and i i left it playing and then um because i was thinking i'm gonna make prints and i'm gonna do enhanced prints on these and draw little images in um right so i did this and i put it in ojibwe like i have a japanese friend and he who also knows ojibwe and he's one of my main friends that will talk ojibwe with the cool thing is he learned how to speak English by merging from Japanese language. And then he, he couldn't uh, learn English. So they said, learn Anishinaabe Moen, you'll learn English. And wow. that's what he did. And now he can speak English through Anishinaabe Moen. Anyway, he was looking at, it, he's like, and he broke down Tamagotchi, what it means in, Oji- in, in Japanese, since it's like a shortened thing. And um, it's like egg watch. And um, so we put it in Ojibwe that, and then we put in syllabics. So syllabics are like this kind of triangle writing on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we put on there and it, it, it kind of looked, you know, how Japanese has a kanji or the different letters, the, the having Correct. the syllabics that yeah. kind of had that like pop culture look. I'm like, why can't I should make a Tamagotchi la- uh, later? <laughs> Cause I ended up meeting what's his name. Um, oh geez. I can see his face now. I can't think of his name. Um, <laughs> he lives in Oklahoma and he works with, uh native the native uh um clothing brand um oh. steven is a steven anyway he's steven. uh yeah steven paul kind of, it... paul judd I, or yeah something like yeah i'm sorry anyway yeah. i i met him with because i'm a part of this group that 
like I work with AHEC, if you've heard of them, American Indian uh-huh. Higher Education Consortium. Um, and then we're working on Indigiverse. So with like some of my artist themes and stuff, I found out that AHEC was during the pandemic that we wanted to create another um, event, like the student AHEC conference, but this time for mm-hmm. virtual. And then we wanted to really um, encourage students to do multimedia work, like get into coding, get into, you know, um, podcasting and, you know, um, video making. So mm-hmm. um, I ended up coming as, at the time, I volunteered as a, as a full-time student. I think I started when I was a junior. Yeah. And then um, we ended up, oh, I ended up meeting uh, Paul Judd on there and seeing some of, hearing his art practice and everything. is like, oh, I like this guy. So since, you know, meeting him and getting, getting to know him virtually, um, I was thinking maybe I should just go make a Tamagotchi watch because I see this guy making toys all the time <laughs> that are indigenous themed. And um, basically, like, like talking about Indigiverse and these themes, I think a lot of it comes down to is my other pathway, which is, in, you know, leadership. So I've been a youth leader for 13 years. And um, Fantastic. Um, I think about that in the sense of, in the sense of even some of the activism work I've did or the leadership work, like art can be very political. It can be very inspiring. Like for a mm-hmm. while I was afraid to, but I've been taking leadership um, um, institutes and this fellowship is the rural regenerator. It really is pushing us to be leaders in our own communities and rural spaces, you know, really tapping in as artists and creatives. And then the one just before it by the same, com- uh, the same, um, place it was a um it was a creative the community creative leadership institute and Mm -hmm. we really talked about like this idea of you know focusing on leadership in this space of like i really it really changed my mind when like we they had this literature that we had to read and they talked about sun spaces and moon spaces so like a moon space is like tribal council or chief and council since i'm so close to the border um this idea that their reflection of true power because the true power comes from grassroots for example they're done you know by local people that just want change and the change Mm -hmm. is so much more dynamic and fast-paced whereas other spaces there's so many restrictions and guidelines and they just they just reflect the people that are you know in charge of you know electing them so it just really made me think of that sense of an active agent of change or as a leader or as a you know a teacher Mm-hmm. Um, what can I do to really interact and inform my community? What can I learn from my community and be accountable for, you know? Do you feel that you take uh, challenges or risk with your art? Um, I think with the LED pieces, cause they're literally pioneer pieces. They're definitely, they were worrisome cause it's like, how's this going to react? Right. Um, I showed America Meredith, um, one of one of my pieces i think she was a juror for i think it was northern plains last year and that's where i unveiled it and i was just disheartened because it was i feel it was way out of the box for most conventional art um so i i definitely feel i'm a little um saddened that it it isn't getting the response i've been liking like i do get a lot of verbal or in-person response that like oh that's brand new but then when i put it up for jury shows there it's always left in the dust and i'm like but this (laughs) is robotics and the themes and like but i guess they're just not ready for it maybe it'll be the next iteration 
because my next thing in the whole robotics theme is this idea of um, basketry. And I want to have a basket that seals up like a, we call it like a blueberry style basket because of the shape. Mm -hmm. And when it's sealed, it looks like a normal, you know, birch bark round basket with quill work, but then it's going to open up. And there's this idea of like in the seven fires prophecy, there's a, a little quote in there where they say, I think it's the time of the sixth or seventh fire. I don't quote me on that. Um, it's, it's around that time where they say, then the youth will wait, uh, will wake up the art uh the elders and push them to reopen they'll go find the bundles and awake awaken the the elders to teach mm -hmm. the old um the old uh teachings again so it has this idea of what is, is prompting me that is a thing from one of our prophecies and this idea of this basket being open and knowledge you know being there so that thing I'm thinking about taking apart an old Xbox Connect, you know, sensor and right. being able to project that on more LEDs to give like a static live feed of people where they're like star people. Like how you're you're looking in this basket and the star the knowledge from our ancestors and the stars are all in there. So it's the next robotics piece that's gonna seal up and shut open up, you know, on a timer. So that's the next thing and that's already my dad being a mechanic. He's like, "Oh, that's an easy mechanism." And then my <laughs> my friend um, in Winnipeg's all like, "Oh, that's easy to code too. We just need to wire it this way and that way, and we'll figure out the electronic for that. You know, the the main <laughs> chip." So it's fun to have. What I really appreciate with making art is collaboration. Since you know, um, going to II and all these other places, I really love to collaborate with other artists and I think that's what I really appreciated about the two leadership uh creative leadership um things that I I was in and currently in because they really mm -hmm. push us to do collaboration and like these quick exercises and it really like like at the rural regenerators retreat we um I did this new experience that made me change my mind on how I make art so the one fellow that um my friend Rufus there they are a um a performance-based artist, a dancer, but also a fine artist. So the both of us on one of the last days of the fellowship retreat, we did this live, um, I, I guess you'd say almost improv dance slash drawing um, um, event. And we, Rufus ended up dancing and, you know, doing like this creative, like freestyle dance over here. And then had like, we had hard pastels and then since I'm not a dancer, um, I would just kind of trace footsteps or do gestural lines and movement that was playing with the music. And I think everyone at the, the fellowship retreat really enjoyed. And they, they said that it felt like a private viewing or private party where it was art being created in the now that wasn't being broadcast. So it was a personalized experience. I don't think very many people took pictures or even video. of the. There was no video playing of the whole thing. So right. it just changed my mind of how to create art, how to think about mm -hmm. it in the sense of actual full body movement. And, you know, over time, you know, this performance style based piece. And then afterwards we did another live performance where we tore it to smithereens and handed it and <laughs> gifted it out. That was another thing as a young artist is I used to always tear apart or burn my art pieces. Oh, and then wow. now, now, so all my children's are like, I can probably have boxes full of art because since I was tiny, I used to get in trouble for always drawing. And then they'd be like, how are you always getting A's, but yet you're always drawing? Like, I just listen to you. And this isn't hard. 
So I do a lot of my own reading. Um, anyway, um, so I've always like kind of destroyed art and sometimes I'll terrorize some of my friends. Like we have this bead night since the pandemic where there's actually where uh, we have a virtual art show online. It's rockyourbeads.com. Um, and um, we, uh, we really became a really close knit, you know, group of artists and what's really empowering is i see them going like the herd and meet a bunch of them at the idol jorg it's like and then we have like our own like group where we're there for each other we're really helping we're we're inspiring each other we'll push each other so like we have like generally a a, a twice a week meet uh, on zoom and um what we we really push and um help each other to like come on you can do this piece before you know the idol jorg for example um, or they'll ask like questions or they'll ask for things or we'll get a preview look. And it's like, mm -hmm. then when you go to like my friend, Celicia Oldbull, her uh, piece was a place winner over at the herd Indian art market back in the, the springtime. And it was really nice and personal to see that piece after seeing it being built for, you know, the last few months. So I, I really find, you know, beauty in like, collaborating and empowering like one idea that um i've learned from carrie um ron mccleary she's become like an aunt to me but she's the host on on um bead night she's really given me this idea of um i i think it'd be like equity in the sense of instead of being competitive and and cutthroat why can't mm -hmm. everyone be winners why can't we True. really impress and have because native artists and then famous native artists, there's such a, a small group of them. Um, why can't, you know, why can't we all empower each other? Because you don't see the rest of the each. world doing it. Exactly. Grow from each other, learn from each other and evolve with each other. Mm -hmm. On your mural work, are you, um, is these commissions and collaborative efforts that you're doing? Yes. So um, the biggest mural I did and the longest mural was the Chief Buffalo Memorial Mural Project. Um, that's over in Duluth, um, mm -hmm. Minnesota. So it's it's Indian Hotel, I think, would be like a place. I don't remember the exact, um, like if you wanted to find parking right there, that's where we would always park. But it's Lake Walk, um, just about, it's northwest of um, Canal Park. So Lake Walk is around Lake Superior, and then you go up this access ramp that's um, in between Lake Walk and Gitche Odea King Park. So it's the pavilion up that's behind um, Superior Street, and mm -hmm. um, the access ramp is um, it's mostly all painted. I mean, where you access and walk around it is all painted, whether it's just solid colors, but most of it actually is murals, and then that's some um i'd say a small percentage is community-based murals where we actually had youth coming or community members and um and then the other half is like between four of us main artists and then the volunteers or the associates that you you know were paid to help us out and um mm -hmm. so the thing that was beautiful about that is it's the first all indigenous mural for duluth and duluth doesn't have a lot of large-scale murals let alone made by um you know native artists so like you see in the twin cities like you, you have some wonderful mural artists there that they're painting up the city but duluth that was the first big large-scale mural 
So our um, funders were um, the city of Duluth. So um, what, that that actually they, was a huh. I was gonna say, was this uh, all artists from your own uh, tribe? No, um, the main uh, artist is Mary Villiard, and she's a direct descendant of Fond du Lac. Um, okay. Then there's Michelle Defoe, who she's from Redcliffe. So you have Minnesota, then Wisconsin, and then my I came on, and then I invited my cousin Sylvia Cool. So we're both Turtle Mountain. So um, I guess we're we're different tribes. Mm -hmm. The but those other two, they were they live in Duluth. The two friends, and then Sylvia and I lived in in Belcourt, and then Sylvia ended up moving to Duluth winter because of the experience because we spent two years working on that mural like i, I worked uh -huh. on it during my i mostly on my senior year so i i actually spent my senior year mostly in duluth and on the road <laughs> and that was like 18 hour round trip every weekend wow so i think near the on end the of job it, we, training yeah it was so it, it definitely became I think it was fun to, you know, in that sense of um, being uncomfortable, in the sense mm -hmm. of, you know, constantly traveling back and forth and finding places to stay and then finally securing a more stable places to stay and then places to eat there. Like, it was that sense of, uh, even though this is stressful, at the end of the day, we're going to have a giant um, public display or, you know, of a huge community project, something that's groundbreaking. So that mural actually has to do with the 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 path that chief buffalo took and geez i just my friend uh michelle and i just worked on the translation in ojibwe for the history piece you think i'd remember them dates <laughs> but anyway um the chief buffalo he was a 90 something year old that travels to dc with his own uh group of friends delegation and they really push for um pushed the Minnesota territory to build the, their own reservation. And that was right during around the same fact of um, the Sandy Lake tragedy, the Ojibwe long walk. Mm -hmm. So um, there's some pieces that are depicting of, of that tragedy, like around the corner that my cousin Celia worked on. And it's just really empowering to see Duluth is, you know, if you want to be honest, a still in space. Um, somehow or another, Chief Buffalo's um, stepson ended up getting it and giving it to, you know, the, the state of Minnesota. So Duluth used to be like, I, I've heard tr traditional stories that Duluth used to be a place like a Ojibwe city back in, you know, hundreds of years ago, there used to be, it used to be lit, you know, like city lights used to, but it, but hmm. it used to be lit up with hundreds to thousands of fires at night really? when you look over the bay. Hmm. Um, so just to give you a perspective, how much it's changed a, eh? So it really tells right. like, like it really commands spaces. It's a Ojibwe storytelling place that's historical. And then like I've worked on some of the map walls to do the calligraphy, and then some of the details. And we I, like we put Ojibwe words on there, and we put like place markers and names. So like this, the one map wall it shows his journey from Duluth all the way to D.C. And then can you just imagine a ninety-year-old? Um, traveling by walking by canoeing by steamboat and train all the way to dc back in you know those days and it's just like geez the ancestors were built different can you imagine <laughs> being nine years old and saying i'm gonna go change the whole no. <laughs> you know the whole world for my people 
and they created that reservation. Wow. So you mentioned that this is a Duluth's first uh, indigenous public art. Are they, are they continue to do other installations or other programs to include indigenous peoples in artwork around the city? I believe, yes, they are. Um, mm -hmm. That'd be a more question from my friend, Miri, since she's on that commission board. Um, I, th I think that that's what was some of the friction that Miri experienced being the project managers, being indigenous artists and really focusing on, you know, like finding funding or fighting with the, with the city in the sense of like, um, waiting for the go ahead. Like one of the times when we were waiting to paint, we just decided to paint, even though we weren't given the official notice, like go ahead, start because we're worried that right. winter was going to start. It's like, yeah. we can't be tabling this because, <laughs> you know, I'm coming from North Dakota, you know, nine hours away, one way, and I can't just be sitting here on weekends and not doing anything since, you know, it's been, it's, we're spending money to do nothing. And especially when you're committed. I think that's what focused Sylvie and I to really paint faster and more focused and, you know, be articulate and deliberate with our paint strokes is because we're, we had that element of we're only here for so long. We got to, you know, we got to make it count and then also be aware of the weather conditions. And then like, there's some days where it was beautiful and then you get out near the lake and it's all foggy mm. or it'd be a nice windy day. But when you're near the lake, it's, it's basically like ocean spray or sea spray. Right. Right. You can't paint. Have you seen a resurgence of, individuals or youth interested in art from your own tribe? Yes, I have. Um, I think what's really helping is this idea, like all the media coming out. So you see like res dogs and all these other ones. Um, you, you, you see like all these supermodels and then these, uh, fashion designers. Right. Um, so I, I see, and then just seeing like more people being more comfortable wearing indigenous, you know, things. So I think because of that, I'm seeing more youth that are like, I want to learn this. And like, I've, I've told some friends recently, I said, Hey, you should ask your cousins and your kids. I said, I need help making some jewelry right now. If I teach you and you can keep some, can you help? Can we do like art making night where you can help me build inventory? And then also you're learning a new skill and keeping some of your pieces you make. Mm -hmm. I really believe in teaching youth and empowering them because I know like, um, being like a, a leader and a role model and you know being a once a kid myself i think about um how i i think about how things have changed and how you know how the youth and are growing up and i'm thinking how can i make this like the where there's better opportunities for them where there's you know they they have more resources available how can i be a, a good relative that can help empower them because um, I've started being a professional artist, you know, in my twenties, and then there's times where I'm thinking, how can how can we empower these youth artists where they can be professional artists in their, you know, their teens, make sure mm -hmm. that they're, you know, they know like how to navigate and how you know how to find a good support system and you know have fun. I think it's yeah that um, accessibility um, mm -hmm. to means and actually have you know the tools to actually create art, but also learning from like yourself or elders and continuing that story and evolving as a, as a culture, you know, um, mm -hmm. is an important factor and the educational uh, means as well, you know, educating and, and 
having those individuals and youth interested in telling their story, but also their heritage and growing from that. It's continuing evolving. So are you currently exhibiting anywhere, doing any shows? I guess that virtual exhibit for the rockyourbeads.com mm-hmm. there there's that i have a few pieces um and then there's i always mispronounce this um the yamkov the cass county museum i i probably um butchered that a little bit but over in moorhead there's a um there's a museum they actually commissioned me to make them a piece. So I, I said, well, do you want it like old fashioned or do you want it a little modernized? And they're like, do however you want. So I made it a little modernized. So they asked for a winnowing <laughs> tray. And so I made it a little more like, I made them the Cadillac version of today. So I made it super heavy duty. <laughs> and then I wrote in Ojibwe on the sides just by etching, not like adding ink or anything, but it's a hidden detail. If you pay attention, you'll see it. And mm-hmm. it's in Ojibwe and it talks about this is made in the style of the 1850s tray style uh, winnowing tray. And then the other ones, like, I don't remember what the other side says, but I wrote it in Ojibwe. And then um, they also have a current piece. They have, um, I, I loan them one of my, my baskets, my tray style baskets for the moment. My LED piece with Wild Water Panther and um, Thunderbird with the coronavirus. Did I, I didn't even talk about that other one. I talked about it briefly, but... That one I made during the height of the pandemic in 2020, and that one exhibited there first, and it was on loan. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I think that's the only two places. I have some friends that have been asking for me to exhibit, and I've been thinking about um, emailing some other you know, galleries and different things to really do start do, showing one. Do you do any of the market circuit? Yeah, I've... I've been recently going to a handful of different ones. Um, so the ones that I want to start focusing on is I want to go to Swaya, definitely continue going into the herd. Had a good experience at the herd. Idle Drug is coming up, so I'm excited about that. Also the fact mm-hmm. that first time going and I'm already a, you know, um, a demonstrator. Fantastic. So I got, made a good impression with them over at the Herd Indian Art Market. Um and then I want to continue doing Northern Plains since that one is exclusive in the sense of you have to be a Northern Plains artist. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, when they think of Ojibwe, they think Great Lakes. I'm like, yeah, my, my parents' families are from there, but we've been, you know, internal mountain for a, a couple hundred years now. Right. But also when we think about, you know, the ancestors, those old people, well, at their time, they're young people, but they used to move so much. Like you look at right. some of where the places of birth and the places of death. I'm like, you know how many how many states are, are far apart that is, and let alone you yeah. didn't have cars back then. <laughs> but then, like well, thinking think about they... like my grandpa, he talked about how, like for example, the Cree and the Métis peoples, or even the Soto or the Chippewa, that we call them down here, um, how much we were so, how often we travel. Like for an idea, for since I I've. I, I really enjoy history and I have friends that are historians. A lot of our reservations are wintering spots. Mm-hmm. At least I can speak for my immediate peoples, um, like Turtle Mountain, Red Lake, and all of that. They we kind of got cemented into the place where we'd winter. Not in not in the traditional territory where we'd be in the spring, the fall, the summer. Correct. 
So um, I just think about in the sense, like my own family calls me, they're like, I'm the traveler of the family. Cause like last year I was gone eight months out of the year and then like yeah. constantly gone. There's a couple times I was home for extended amount, like I think a week and a half, but that was just to take care of business and then head out again. Um, I think just a lot of the ideas, I love to travel because I grew up with it and I heard my grandpa talking about his trip when he actually traveled with his grandpa and, you know, mm -hmm. my old cart and um, buggy and travel. And then the idea of like, like a per, uh, the houses on the prairies, they would have like these communal houses where they would stock it with provisions. Someone was living there, you go to the next house. And then it's just this idea of, you know, everyone being nomadic and, you know, traveling with the mm -hmm. buffalo or having their own little, you know, towns at the time and learning from my grandpa and what he learned from his grandparents were like, it has like that, that idea that being, you know, now my generation's historian by trying to hold on with the stuff I remember. Mm -hmm. It's an important factor. Yeah, I remember stories from my own great grandparents and I was lucky enough to meet my great great grandmother. Uh, she lived at 104 and some of the stories that she told, you know, some not so good and some, you know, some very visual aspects of just the way life was kind of uh, is interesting how we've kind of uh, transformed and evolved as a people. But, you know, those those elements are instilled in us forever. It's something that doesn't get washed away, so to speak. Well, what does she get? I'm sorry, Wada Kishik. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you want to add and share with us? Mm -hmm. Let's see. I'm trying to think here. Um, Call me. Now. Yeah. I'm just going to go down the road, see Bird or whoever. Okay, you're on live. <laughs> you probably picked that up. You'll have to... um, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. You want to share anything? My dad pops in. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think like, I think there's beauty in, um, in being really open and sharing. Cause I think one thing that also annoys me is this idea of gatekeeping. Like mm -hmm. I understand like if you're, if there's non-native artists trying to learn it, or if it's a ceremonial way where there's protocol and stuff, but most modern native art, you know, there's a protocol and a way to do it, but also there's beauty in sharing. Like a lot of the things, like I think people forget is our ancestors are this idea, like, cause I feel, I feel like a lot of um, modern artists now, they have this idea where they have to be traditional and by the book. And when I say by the book, I'm, I'm saying like tongue in cheek, like by the ideas, like by the history book where they saw like mm -hmm. old, you know, 1800 art and they have to make it that way. I'm thinking, there's better materials literally to be using. And anyway, what I'm saying is I think we all get focused. Like there's that fine line of cultural appropriation, cultural appreciation. Like even in my own ways, like you heard me with my reluctance to do ledger art until I finally saw like the, in the history, like, Oh, my ancestors did do this. So I, it wouldn't be appropriative to do that. So mm -hmm. um, one thing that I'm also thinking about, and I've been researching is, I didn't want to do like Potawatomi, Odawa, or even Eastern Ojibwe style ribbon work. You know, the stuff that you see also in like Ponca and um, right. let's see, o o Odo, Missouri and, you know, Osage because of like the traveling and, you know, all that. Because our people didn't do ribbon work like that, even though our relatives did. 
or our mm-hmm. ancestors did. So it's just that thing of being like a, you know, ethical and everything. Like in that sense, if you want it, do a trade with someone, you know, buy it from a living artist that makes that and knows how. But while doing that research, I've thought about, like saw that Ojibwe did do ribbon work, like my immediate Ojibwe, like, you know, the Plains Ojibwe and then, you know, Red Lake or the Minnesota or the, even the, the Western Great Lakes peoples, um, they did a different kind of ribbon work that's unique. I, I've seen it in some Southern ribbon work, but they'll actually bead right on top of it with like Ojibwe florals and it's more geometric forms. And I've been doing my research and stuff and I've been telling people, I want to re- bring back some of these old cultural forms and even in the sense to make it more affordable or even more readily available, like this idea of doing, you know, um, ready to wear fashion or printing mm-hmm. out fabric, like make something or even design something digitally that like you see it on Teton, um, some of the native artists on there that they design, you know, you can clearly see it's inspired by ribbon work. Some of the ribbons, the cool. ribbons with ribbon work designs on them and it, mm-hmm. or, you know, all that. So I think it's this idea of always be open. Um, there's really beauty in um, finding yourself a group. Like I found like with B group and some of the leadership groups I've been a part of, like there's, there's so much beauty in, you know, really being a modern a modern artist and working with what you have making things easier like there's beauty in doing like historic facsimiles but i also feel there's beauty in pushing to do more modern contemporary even mm-hmm. futurist pieces so i i like i said there's there's just beauty in art making true true and it's telling a story and that story is being told appropriately and visually impactful um, any closing words of wisdom? I think as a native artist, if you're struggling with making art, um, definitely there's so many things you can learn from, even from the web. Find yourself a mentor. I think sometimes people are afraid to make art. I think any artist, like there's been so many people I've met at markets and at different things where they feel like they're not good enough or any, mm-hmm. or I find youth that says, well, I don't draw very good. I'm like, there was a point in my history where I didn't draw so good, but I just kept on. Like I really stress even in my art friends, like um, you're not always going to be motivated. You just need to develop a sense of um, a personal discipline and, you know, a structure or ritual and where you're always, for example, if you're doing 2d media, you're always sketching around you. You're always doing time exercises or if you're doing traditional stuff, like, if, if you can't do it, just, you know, work on something else for the moment. Right. And you know, like, there, there's, yeah, there's beauty in continuing to do that and being focused. Um, there's also beauty in rest. Like I tell people, cause there was a point when I was doing quill work, you know, um, really pushing myself and getting known as a quill worker. And then both my wrists snapped oh. and that just basically told me like, <laughs> I couldn't use my hands for a year and a half. I almost wow. cut off all my hair because you know how hard it is to brush your teeth with yeah. two hands and having them immobilized and ha- dropping the toothbrush all the oh, time. Um, anyway, what I'm saying is like, I always tell people, it's like, please remember to rest because you don't want to end up like an emergency situation like I did. Cause at least with quill work, there's resistance. Like that's resistance training. Your tendons don't need right. is having, you know, like rubber, rubbery, you know, elastic quills going through, you know, birch park. Right. 
but like and i was teach people like with your shoulders and being a painter always do movements because this is a stronger joint than this right so just the ergonomics and everything so just like like what i was saying is i always encourage people to make art i encourage people to apply there's so many grants and stuff people don't realize how many people don't apply for grants and it's so it's easy to get discouraged and say i don't want to apply for that because um i didn't get it like with the fellowship i'm in one of the fellows he didn't he applied the first time and almost didn't apply the second time and look at he's in now so just like with all of these like persistence keep on. persistence don't no for, and don't take no for an answer <laughs> and really work with your community with you know finding you know helpers like editors and asking people for advice and help there's so many like even in minnesota for example there's so many artists um resources out there just look in your local state look in your tribe or ask other artists um for the if they have time to give you you know strategies or advice i really encourage people to really seek out you know and because there's a lot of people that want to share and be helpful because mm -hmm. they found help when they were at that same level well, thank you for your words of wisdom and advice. It's much appreciated. And what a chic, what a kishik. It was an honor to have you on this show today. And I'm, I'm glad we got to meet and talk to you. Thank you so much. I'll see you again.